Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. I want to read to you today from Luke, one of the, one of the neatest little uh, accounts of Scripture. And having read it in many different translations, I want to read you a paraphrase from the message and just kind of bring you to, uh, to, to where this one line is that really speaks to my heart. This is a story while you're turning there in Luke chapter 1 where you, you find uh, Zacharias who is a priest before God. He gets an opportunity to burn incense and minister in the temple of God. And this is, this is in, your, in your Bible, it says New Testament, but, uh, but the, the truth is the New Testament actually starts at the resurrection. That's really when the New Testament starts. An editor, uh, you know, the only uninspired page in your Bible is that white sheet of paper between Malachi and Matthew that says New Testament. An editor put that in there and he put it in the wrong place. The New Testament, they're still living under the Old Testament. They're still living under these old regulations and laws. And in Luke chapter 1, they're following the old Mosaic law and they're doing it uh, that old way. And so this is sort of an account of what happened there. So Luke 1 and 8 Reading from the message, it says, So it happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. The congregation was gathered, uh, was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed in fear, and so would any of the rest of us be if, a, if we saw an angel. But the angel reassured him, Don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you, and you are to name him John. Now, now, uh, this freaks him out. He's, he's so surprised that this is going to happen. He, so many things are going wrong in Zacharias' head. Now, Zacharias was, was of the tribe of Levi. And the, the Levites were the priests. And at this time, there was about 20,000 uh, descendants of Zechariah that were in the priesthood. And so for you to be one of the 20,000 and you get your moment to minister and burn incense, it's probably about once in life or, or maybe not even at all in your life. So this was a very, very special day for Zacharias. If you read, uh, you back up into verse number 7, it tell, the Bible tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both well-stricken in years. Well-stricken literally meaning that they were old and feeble. They were bent over and unable to function normally. They had never had children. It was, it was a, a very bleak existence for them for their entire lives. You know, for a, a Jew, particularly of the tribe of Levi, the height of his, his experience is to have sons so that he can replenish the earth because the Bible tells him to. And, and, and all they have is to follow the law of scripture. And God said in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. And Zacharias and his wife have not done that. And so they feel very, very, very terrible. In fact, it was, it was, it was legal in, in, in the old law for Zacharias to have divorced his wife only on the grounds that she was barren. Uh, that, that, that's how serious the Jews took this. Zacharias, on the other hand, was, was just faithful. He's just pray. both of them, faithful, praying, hoping, believing in God. They have heard no their whole lives. No. You know, can, can you have a child? No. Can we have a son? No. 
Can Zacharias be chosen to go into the sanctuary? Of course not. I mean, clearly, see, they they had almost a superstition about God, that God has not chosen Zacharias to have children because there's some hidden sin in his life. There's no way God would choose him to go into the sanctuary. He's heard no all of his life, and yet he's just faithful. He's just doing every day the thing that he knows to do. He's, He's praying. The Bible tells us that he's a righteous man that he prays daily, he worships daily, he gives daily, and then one day out of the clear blue sky, bam, everything changes. He gets his moment before God, an angel shows up in his life, and the angel gives him his one time in life God moment. Tells him not only are you going to have a son, but his name's going to be John. Freaks him out because nobody in his family lineage is named John. John's not a big name back then. Now it is, you know, it is for us because of John and, and other subsequent Johns, but it didn't fit his family lineage at all. And he's not going to be John. And so, you know, what he says, the dumbest thing you can ever say when an angel comes up and, and speaks to you is like, are you sure you know what you're talking about? And so the, the angel makes him mute for nine months. He says, you know how sure I am? Just don't talk. Boom. I have often prayed for this gift. Do you know people you would slap with silence for nine months? And if you keep reading ahead, you'll find out after nine months of him, you know, trying to argue that the name wouldn't be John and he gets nine months of silence. The first words out of Zechariah's mouth nine months later are, mm, his name is John. God has many ways to get it right in you. You know what I'm saying? Get it right the first time. Next time God tells you something, say, yes, Lord, I believe. Let's practice it. One, two, three. There you go. You don't have to be slapped with silence. There are so many different ways that God can get your attention. So Zacharias, after having nothing in his life, being ridiculed by all of the fellow believers and, and every Jew and certainly everybody in the, all the Levites. He has nothing his whole life. And in one day, he goes from zero to hero. Everything changes in his life. He has not just John or a son named John, but John the Baptist. John, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus, who would make the crooked path straight, who would Jesus would one day say is the greatest preacher the world has ever known. This is the son that he gets. And the the word that stuck out at me was, and we read it, you you probably heard me emphasize it when we read the scripture. It says he got his one turn in life. Here's my question to you. Does everyone get a one turn in life? Do you? Do you get a one turn God moment where after you're faithful and you've tried and you've prayed and you've trusted and, and you've had every reason to give up and you've had every reason to stop believing and they've sung your song over and over again. Maybe you're like the mother who told me after I preached her 15-year-old son's funeral, passed her some of the songs, I just can't sing them anymore. I'm, I'm, I'll come, I'll stand, I'll, I'll, I'll smile, I'll, I, I'm not going to argue with you, but I can't, I can't sing the songs about God's faithfulness. He didn't seem like he was faithful to me when my son was killed accidentally. I mean, those moments, I, I, does everybody get their moment? Do, are you going to get your moment? I want to say in faith, yes, you do, and yes, you are. And not only a moment, but a relationship but a lifestyle where God takes your mundane life and makes it miraculous. Where God takes normal things and makes normal the miraculous in your life. So let's, let's talk about God moments. I think you can learn some things 
from Zacharias and Elizabeth and these God moments. The angel said in Luke 1 and 19, the angel said, and here's something you can learn. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Now, who's Gabriel? He's an angel. And I'll promise you this about Gabriel, though I've never seen him. I promise you he's not a fat, naked baby shooting like arrows with hearts on them. Not, not, that's not, I don't know who made that thing up, but a real angel judging from things we read about them and what they do and what their purpose is. He's a gigantic, powerful warrior. And if you saw him, you'd be paralyzed in fear too. And the, 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 the time, the first time we see him was about 500, the last time we'd seen him was about 500 years before then. And, and uh, he, he appears uh, to, to the prophet Daniel. And he tells Daniel all these incredible things about the end times, but he gives detail about the coming of Christ. And we know Gabriel, you know his name, Gabriel, probably not because of the Daniel prophecy, but because of all of the Christmas stories and of Gabriel coming to Mary. And, and I'm going to tell you, it was a scary moment. It had to have been a scary moment. You ever been in an old traditional church at night by yourself? And you may be praying. I used to do that. You'd be praying in that old church. And you want, you're like, God, show up. But if he did, you, you kind of don't want him to, really. Like, show up tomorrow, you know, at the house when I'm watching the news. Not now. I, I remember, you know, when, when we took our first church position in a little town of Gadsden, Alabama, a little country church. And, and they paid us the lump sum of $100 a week. And we were excited about that and just trying not to starve. And, you know, um, there was a lady who was very sick, and she was the cleaning lady at this church. And, you know, they paid her $25 to clean the church. And the pastor told me if she doesn't make it, you can clean the church for that extra $25. And so I immediately I had a crisis of faith. I wanted her to make it, you know. Boy, I needed that $100. Lord, have your way. You know, just have... Don't look at me at that tone of voice. You don't know what it means to need that. Well, I, I, she didn't make it. Praise God, she made it to heaven. Can you give God praise? She made it. And I got the $25 a week for cleaning that church. And one night, I was cleaning that church, and I was praying, and I heard a sound, and I was like, I hope this is not God. <laughs> I hope it's not that. I didn't know what I hoped it was. But, you know, this is that kind of moment. I'll just leave that story right there. This is that kind of moment that John, uh, that, that Zacharias was in. And later, this, this same angel shows up. Mary's in the same place. This big, frightening, scary angel shows up. And, and, and this, this same man who's heard no of his whole life, all of a sudden God shows up. The phrase I hope you hear that when the angel of the Lord shows up that he spoke is this one. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I, see, see, we want to have God moments in our life. We want God to do something. But did you know, do you think it's a coincidence that the one time in his life that God showed up in his, in, in his, uh, in his life, in, the, in his circumstances, was also the one time in his life that he truly stood in the presence of God. Let me remind you again, even though your Bible, your editor told you that, that, that this is in Luke is in the New Testament, this is actually still Old Testament times, and only one person at a time is in the presence of God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? 
Aren't you glad not just the pastor or the bishop or the leader or the priest can be in the presence of God, but today, this really could be your day, New Hope Church. This could be your moment right here today because each of us, not one priest burning incense, each of us could stand in the presence of God today. Come on, I wish you'd give him praise if you believe you could have your moment. So here's the first lesson. God moments come on God's terms. They, you, you don't get to say, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And God, you just come and, and fix it and, and, and make it okay. See, most of our prayers are like, God, this is what I'm planning on doing. And would you bless my plan? And that is not the way it works. Gabriel shows up. Gabriel is the, he's the guy who delivers the miracle and he makes very plain, here's who I am and here's where I am. I'm God's messenger and I stand in the presence of God. If I want to have God in my life, I've got to do the things that keeps me in his presence. I'm worshiping. You did it, man. You came. You set aside time. There is no other reason for you to be here today other than to say, I need God in my life. There's nothing that you're going to gain in in terms... Our society and our culture doesn't even reward this anymore. It's not like it used to be. You've made a choice. You've said, I can't do... I don't have enough money. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough skill. I can't make all of my dreams and hopes or even my needs come true on my own. I'm trusting in God. Let me just challenge you to go further and say, God, I want to be in your presence in everything in my life. I want to pray more. I want to read your word and and let it uh, engage my life and how I live. I want to... I want to be in groups. I see this church has small groups. You know, the Bible calls that koinonia. And it's more than just the word fellowship as we use it. It means literally people bonding together like a family. Those are the things that keep you in his presence. See, most of us, we want those miracles. We want God to answer our prayers. We want direction and wisdom and we want peace and all those things. But we want them on our own terms. We want them how we want them and where we want them and when we want them. But God moments come on God's terms. And you have to, if you stay, if you you get into his presence and you stay walking in his presence, you'll have to fight to do it because there are things that rival the presence of God in your life. Like our own selfishness and our own greed and our own pride and our own sinfulness and bitterness and things like depression and and negativism and, and all of those things. You'll have to fight those things. Here's the other thing I've learned about God moments, if you're, if you're writing these down. The second one is that God moments are often inconvenient. They, they don't come when you want them or when you expect them. They don't happen when there's plenty of time set aside. Because God's got this weird thing. He thinks he's God. He thinks he doesn't have to wait in line. He doesn't, you know... My son was just so enamored, my little six-year-old who's in, in, in kids' church right now. He just was so enamored when he found out for $40 more at Dollywood, we could cut in line. Man, his whole six years he's been taught, you don't cut in line. If you got $40, you do. <laughs> See, that's the thing about God. God doesn't think he waits in line for you. He doesn't wait till you get uh, time for him. He doesn't wait till you're not busy anymore. God moments come on God's terms and they're often inconvenient. Paul saw this in his own life and he saw it with a Roman governor named Felix. I want to show you this little quick verse and a little story of Paul, Acts 24 and 25. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control. By the way, these are some of the things I talked about earlier that if, if you've got... If you don't have these things right in your life, you won't be able to stay in God's presence. He's talking to Felix, the Roman governor, about the same things, the judgment to come. 
But Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. And when I find it, come on, what's that, church, what's that word, church? Convenient. Won't we love that word, convenient? When I find it convenient, I will send for you. See, Felix is not a terrible person. He's a seeker. He wanted to hear from Paul. He wanted to understand things like righteousness and self-control and the judgment of God. He wanted that again in his life, but he wanted it just like most of us wanted it. He wanted it on his own terms. And he said, when it's convenient, I'll call you back. There'll be another moment. Did you know this, the church? We, we don't have any historical or biblical history or, or evidence that he ever got another moment. He was never again with Paul. We don't read where he was ever again uh, witnessed to by the fledgling group of believers that were struggling to live in Rome at that time. By all accounts, he missed his moment. He had his opportunity and he missed his. I wonder how many of my moments I've missed in my life. I wonder how many times I was in such a hurry God wanted to speak to me. I wonder how many times that I had other items on my agenda and, and, and I wouldn't wait for it. And God had a moment for me. See, Paul understood how inconvenient God moments could be because his God moment was very inconvenient for him too. In Acts 9, he's on the road to Damascus. He's got, a, he's got an agenda. He's got things to do. It's basically a, a three, it's like a business trip for him. And, and, and a blinding light knocks him off of his horse. He gets temporary blindness. He's stuck for three days. A prophet of God comes and speaks to him. Timing could not have been more wrong. He's basically uh, 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 you know, stopped everything. And then when the priest or the prophet shows up, he says, Paul, you've been chosen. And that sounds pretty awesome when a man of God says you've been chosen. But then the second half of the verse, it went real downhill. You've been chosen to suffer many things. Paul's like, oh, I thought it was just going to be the temporary blindness. There's more. That's, I've been chosen. That's awesome. But Paul said, you know what? I'd rather have God's plan with some weird stuff going with it than my plan. Can I ask you about your own? Would, would you really rather have God's plan with some temporary blindness and some special chosen suffering that, 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 that God could have kept you away from he could have he's god right he could have shielded you from it but for some reason he didn't because for some reason it was in his plan it had a bigger purpose than what you could reason in your head it it was doing more for you and inside of you than it than it was doing around you do, do you know that god is more interested in what he's doing in you than what he's doing for you do you know that? Like for God to fix your circumstances is so easy. It is literally the batting of an eye. God could bat his eye and, and heal the whole nation. It's like one eyelash flicking to fix your situation. But he wants to fix you. Your situation is the smallest thing around. Your situation's temporary. You are eternal. You've got to get that in your heart. You've got to know that God knows whether you know or not. You are an eternal being. He wants to be with you forever. He wants you to walk streets of gold with him in eternity. A thousand million years from now. He wants you to be in close harmony with him. And so the small and momentary light trials of your life right now. Not that he doesn't care about them. But those are the things that are being used to make you into who he wants you to be. So even though Paul's God moment didn't come on his terms, he gladly took God's terms so that he could have God's presence. Just say this prayer with me. Say, God, I'll take your terms if I can have your presence. Now that you know what it is, say it and really mean it. Say, God, I'll take your terms 
if I can have your presence. See, sometimes God's knocking at our door and it's very uncomfortable. It's not convenient. It's not the right opportunity. It's not the way we want it to be. It's, it's, it feels a different. See, because the thing about God is without faith, it's impossible to please him. And, and God's going to demand some faith. And here's the other thing that is so very, very hard for me to remember. Like I can figure it out. You ever, you ever had something you figured out in your head and you're like, oh, that makes sense. But then you keep forgetting it. And you have to be reminded of it. This is the one right here, number three, is that God moments are never about you. That's the hardest one to think about. It's not really about me. Leslie and I prayed for a miracle son for years. God blessed us with two amazing daughters. We prayed for a son. It wouldn't work out. It wouldn't work out. We said, okay, we'll adopt. We'll just announce to the world that the wonderful Lawson family is ready to adopt a son and sons will reign from the sky. Didn't work out. We waited and waited and waited and it was so difficult. We became uh, older than we thought we were going to be when we had a son. Was that the best political way to say that, honey? <laughs> and so now when I take my son around, people will say, how's your grandson? And I'm like, Frickin if I wasn't saved. <laughs> so it wasn't the way we had it planned, and, and to, it's, it's been a journey. It's been a challenge. He's a wonderful son, but he's got a lot of energy, and he's got a lot of power. The Holy Spirit told me that, actually. In my prayer time, Along with God, I took a week uh, just speaking to God. If I had more time, I'd tell you that whole story. It was amazing where God spoke to me and told me what my son was going to be and, and or a lot about his future. And he essentially told me the son is powerful and that God had chosen me for Bryant because, because, because Bryant, God had a plan for Bryant's life. Bryant's named after my grandfather, Bryant, who was a seminal uh, change agent for my family and, and God even back then told me that I would name him Bryant because he would change the future of his bloodline and I kind of forgot all that amongst all the raising of crazy boys boys do you know you ever raised a boy my God I have a prayer line for everybody that's raising sons right in here my heavens and so during all of that you know I kind of forgot that and then when, when God said you know, the reason you, you had to wait, the reason you couldn't have the son, you know, naturally, and the reason he didn't come the moment you were praying for uh, an adoption is because I put you on hold because he wasn't, this, this boy wasn't born yet. I was waiting on this. You, you weren't going to raise a boy. You're going to raise this boy. And I was waiting on this boy to be born. And he was born into a very, very difficult situation, and God opened the door for us and essentially said, because I've put so much power in this young man, and it's got to be aimed in the right direction, much like a gun. You don't just hand a gun to anyone. You've got you to be careful. You've got to understand the safety ramifications. It has to be aimed in the proper uh, direction, and it has to be used because when you finally pull the trigger on that gun, it is powerful. That's the kind of the analogy God gave me. But the thing I walked away with more than anything else was this whole, we're going to have a son. It's going to complete our family. We're going to be able to raise a boy. I'm going to have my boy. God goes, it's not about you, Jerry. This God moment is about Bryant. It was never about. And you know, when I read the stories, Zachariah's God moment wasn't about Zachariah, was it? He was to birth John the Baptist, the greatest preacher Jesus ever met. <laughs> and, and, and further, this giant 
uh, Gabriel, a warring angel, would now go on and he would talk to Mary and Mary would have her God moment and, and hear the most unbelievable claims that even 2,000 years later, people find it hard to believe. Imagine you're the 15 or maybe even younger year old girl who has an angel come up to her and say, Mary, don't be afraid. You are pregnant. And she's like, no, that's not possible. No, you are because the child in you has come from the Holy Spirit. And you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And He's going to save the whole world from their sins. Imagine you're the 15-year-old girl trying to understand that language. How could you accept that? People don't accept it 2,000 years later. And we have mountains of evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet her response, please zero in on the words of a 15-year-old child. And look at her faith. In Luke 1 and 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. She said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm young and I've already found a, a man and we've got plenty. No, no. I'm what, here's what I am. I belong to the Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. Say this word with me. Say, God, may your word be fulfilled. She says, you know, she, she had her word. She had her plans. I'm going to marry this guy. We're going to have a family. We're going to do these things. No, all that's on the side now because we're going to have your word. God, I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, the, everybody knows those stories, right? That a 15-year-old girl pregnant outside of wedlock could literally be put on the front porch by her father and be stoned by the community. She says, no, have your way, God. If that's what you want, that's what I'll do. She said, I don't want this really cool, but it's not about me. I don't want this baby, but it's not about me. I don't want to change plans and reverse course, but it's not about me. I don't want to hurt my fiance, but it's not about me. You see, the, the, the big thing that you're praying for, that you're asking God to do in your life, is not about relieving you or solving your problems. God wants to do something amazing in you so he can do something amazing through you. Come on, I wish you'd give God praise and receive that word that it's through you. It's not about you. Come on back up, brother, and play the piano. It makes them think I'm almost through. <laughs> Buys me another 20 minutes every time. <laughs> my dear friend, Steve James, is a member of my church. And um, he, uh, about 18 years ago, he had, he had one daughter, Brittany. And, and, and remember this name, because you should Google and, and, and read his story and, and watch the videos about him. But Steve loved his daughter, Brittany, and as she was a young teenager. And she was stricken with a horrible disease almost overnight. Even though Steve was in the medical community and he knew all the contacts, nothing could be done. And she was killed. Lost his teenage daughter. It almost drove him and his wife crazy. And to try to find some peace, Steve left Coleman, Alabama to fly to Kenya because he found out that his daughter had adopted, through a sponsorship program, a little African girl. And he had to go see her. And it was in Magori, Kenya, which is you, you, you fly, drive, you know, ride on African roads for about 10 hours to even get there. But he thought, maybe if I just meet this girl, you know, maybe I'll connect with what my daughter was doing. And when he got there, he saw all this 
poverty and witchcraft and voodoo Muslim doctor crazy stuff for the sickness. People dying of really small tumors and and things that you could have solved either at an urgent care or in a, a day surgery. And Steve worked in the medical field in surgery. He just couldn't believe. He was a nurse. He couldn't believe that people were dying like this. And so momentarily, he got his eyes off his need for peace and saw the pain in everybody else's face. He came back home to Coleman, went to Coleman Regional, where my daughter works now, by the way, uh, as a nurse, and started talking to doctors. Well, how hard would it be with no medical regulations for you to fly over with me and let's treat some people? And so he, he set up, he just started doing it. He just started flying over there and he started telling people the story of his daughter and how he went over there. And now today, 18 years later, he's got a medical clinic. He's got a school. He, he's, he's got about 900 children in his school, Christian school. He's, done, he's treated over 125,000 patients. He's done over 10,000 free surgeries for people in need. He's changed the whole world in that little area of Kenya. And what he found out was that the horrible pain of losing his daughter and his need for some kind of peace and hope really was never about him. It was about all those hurting people, all those wonderful, precious people in Africa that God loves and they have nothing. And, and, and that God would use something as horrible and awful and painful as, as, as the death of your own child to do something amazing for someone else. So here's my question to you. When you take that inconvenient moment that you're in right now, can you pause for a minute and ask yourself, God, what do you want to do beyond me right now? What do you want to do for me and through me but beyond me? What do you want to do for someone else that just happens to work through me. Would you stand up with me, please? I found that sometimes the greatest moments in your life come around the most inconvenient, painful, filled with heartache moments where it's so difficult to find the reason and the rhyme of why. You know, I'm in a position where people always ask me why. Why is God doing this? Why did God allow this? And, and, and increasingly, I've come to the realization I can't, I can't answer those questions. One of my closest friends lost his son and son-in-law. His son, one year after he'd been married, and son-in-law six weeks after he'd married his daughter, and they were both killed in the same car accident. And if I could answer that question for anyone, it would have been that friend can't answer that question but I can tell you as I preached the funeral of those two boys 400 of their classmates walked down the aisle of that church stood beside two coffins head to head and gave their life to Christ was it worth those 400 students coming to know Jesus for a man to lose his, his two children what does God want to do beyond what you're looking at? 
What's God's next step? It's going to start in you, but it's going to go beyond you. So um, this morning, I had a, we have a, we've been blessed with a, a large house we built. And, we, you know, the, the thing about having a big house is if you've got kids is you can hide from them. You can lock a door, pretend like you don't hear them. Oh, my earbuds were in, you know. But when you go on vacation, you can't afford a big room. You know, they're all on top of you. There's nowhere to hide. And uh, we're ready to go home. All of them are ready to get away from me. I can promise you that. But, but, but finally this morning in the shower, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, God, what do you want to say here today? What do you want to do here today? What's the word for today? And I just heard God say, it's somebody's moment with me. It's your miracle moment. And, and, and I feel like I should ask you do, you, do you need a moment with God in your life? Do you, do you need something from God? You need a God moment in your life. Because I'm going to boldly ask for God to give us all moment just at one time we don't have to wait our turn we don't have to spend a whole lifetime wondering like Zechariah did was I faithful enough did I know the scriptures well enough did I do all the right things will my number ever be called will I finally win the spiritual lottery and have my moment my one time in life moment but because Jesus came to earth and He died on the cross and he tore the veil of separation between God's presence and the rest of us. He tore it in half from the top to the bottom. Now, according to the writer of Hebrews, you and I can boldly come before the presence of God. I want you to do that today. I need for me a God moment. Is that what you feel? I'd like to pray for every person at one time. I want to ask God to just... You know, when Zechariah went in there, he burned incense. The incense is a beautiful image of God. It, it, it's, it's hot. The fire, the flame representing his presence. And as it's burned, it's, way, it, it's wafted, waved back and forth. And it, it wafts and it waves and it rises up into the presence of God. And when you worship as you did this morning, man, I love your worship team. Nobody was faking this morning. Everybody felt it. Everybody. I have a gigantic fakeometer. I've been in church so many times. I know when they mean it, and I know when they're faking it. There was real worship happening today, and real worship happening. And you know what God does with real worship? Here's what God does with real worship. He couldn't care less how good it sounds. Now, I can, and I don't want it to sound bad. But God receives worship not with his ears, but with his nose. The Bible says it's a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God and just like Zacharias went into that room and he wo- and he started that incense and he would wave it back and forth and it rose just like that up in heaven God was going and he said yeah that's real go ahead angel get down there Gabriel bring him his moment that's real worship and I, I-, I just feel like in a minute 
We're going to take this moment and, 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 and have real faith and real worship. And it's going to start an incense and it's going to begin to rise. And above this place, high in the heavens, God's going to go. And he's going to send down an angel into your life. He's going to send down an answer. And you're going to have your moment. So while the music starts back up and you sing something real pretty, I don't know what it is, you just do it right now. Everybody in this room who needs a moment with God, would you come down here and let's burn incense? Would you help me? in the? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.